What? I thought you were going to ask me which way is catering. I know. I was going to do that, and I was looking at the fish behind the bar, and yeah. I was going to say, hey, is fish for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to check the rider. Is it one of your options? Ooh. You can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Oh, gosh. Hey, which way is catering? With Justine and Bruce. Served up by Variety Attractions. What's the line again? Celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. Beautiful. So on today's episode, we have a very good friend of ours, Bob Babish of Summerfest. And he's got some great stories and backstage experiences with people like Prince. The Rolling Stones. Almost Grateful Dead. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll, you'll hear what we mean. The show that could have been. It could have been. I love the the conversation we had with him when he did his show with Billie Eilish. Yes, because that, that was one of, I mean, I think that was her first biggest show, right? Mm-hmm. The whole dynamic, that was, a, that was a great conversation. And then a couple experiences that we shared together with Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. All right, do you have your Summerfest lanyard ready? Do Should we s- go backstage? Do you see where it's hanging? <laughs> Unfortunately... <laughs> Hey oh, there, ho oh, there. Look at your headset. <laughs> what? Your headset. This headset can go from here past the kitchen. I would say 150 feet from my office. Really? So I can walk anywhere while huh. still yapping away. And all okay. I need is a stand-up desk, one of those stand-up things. Yeah, yeah. so you can, mm-hmm. Did you ever see, the, you, ever been to, you ever been to the Live Nation office in LA? No. They have... It's the size, full size of your desk, and they press a button, and the whole shit just rises electrically. Like, you guys can't afford that. <laughs> we can't afford that. Yeah. Let, you know, who's on your board? Uh, they, everything they, is wealth management. Yeah, so I'm they, sure you guys but can they do don't, that. But they don't throw money that's our way. You see, that's how that well, and my then, phone is. My phone is so old. My phone here is so old. How old is it? So old that when I have to dial something and it says, do it according to the person's name, all the num- all the letters are already scratched off of it, so I can't even see what what initials are on what number. Wait, so that's your how old your phone has buttons? Of course it does. Actually, it dial- actually it's a dial one. Actually, it's a dial one. Is see, it's it a dial my if, numbers. If they asked me uh, in jeopardy, what kind of phone does Bob Babish have in his office? I'd say a pink rotary princess phone exactly right it's <laughs> and it's a peach Peach. well those stand-up desks now they have like treadmills underneath them so it's yeah, like that i'd minutes. probably fall on my ass i, I don't think i could handle boom over the back <laughs> no, no i ain't happening okay. that ain't happening anyway, anyway so what do you want to talk about i'll on. go pour a drink first yeah okay yeah yes. go right ahead welcome to another episode of which ways catering with justine and bruce and today we have a Oh, one of our favorite guests, because mm-hmm. we've known him for a long time, Bob Babish, Vice President of Entertainment at the world's largest music festival, Summerfest. Hey, guys. Hey. How are we doing? 
Beautiful so, sunny day. It is. Couldn't get nicer. Yeah. You got to love when the snow's melting. That's right. So That's I wanted right. to start off this interview by I sent you uh, an email with a couple photos in it. And <laughs> it was funny because Justine was looking at that stuff and she's like, how did those pictures come about? And the two pictures I sent Bob, which he responded with, ouch, was yeah, uh -huh. um, back in the, I think that was late 70s, early Ice 70s, ages, ice yeah, ages. Yeah. Was, uh, there was a radio station in town that put together a album with local bands and it was called the 93 QFM Hometown Album Project. And it had a great picture of the early days of Summerfest Mm -hmm. with the uh, Milwaukee skyline in the background. And while I was researching that album, all of a sudden it was in eBay and it, it says, hey, it was what? Where was it? It was an eBay. 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 So eBay. So all of a sudden I, you know how you look in eBay and it says, Hey, if you're interested in this, how about this? Well, what pops up? is a 1985 Summerfest credential, Bob Babish. And the picture on there, that's where I got that picture. Somebody's selling my ID? Yes, from 1985, and they're selling it. Did they have to pay you to take it, or what? how did this work? No, they actually they were actually asking 20 bucks for it. Wow. But but the but the picture was priceless with that caterpillar mustache you had going <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah uh, things do get better with age Bob yeah absolutely yes. absolutely yeah. so yes. anyway so that's where I got that picture when I was researching that album but it was I just, was like where the hell did you find that yeah that's that's nothing one day I went on eBay they had a Summerfest section right and in there somebody was selling the contract for the Grateful Dead show that we did here. The <laughs> contract. Wow. And I went, where'd that come from? That can't really be from Summerfest. I looked and my signature's on it. <laughs> here's Phil Lash over here. Here's me. What? 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 Oh, what? so they, they got a hold of an executed contract, not yeah. like a blank template. No, no. Uh-uh. Wow. Where the hell does that come from? Who got How much that? did it go for? I don't exactly know, but the truth, the good part of this story is I came to the office. I said they were asking like some hundred, couple hundred dollars or something. And I said, geez, that'd be fun to have, but who would buy that? And for a gift that summer, some of the senior staff bought me that and framed it. Oh, you know, I was going to make a funny joke and just say, hey, I see it on your wall back there. But you do. It's right. It's right here on my wall. That's funny. <laughs> what yeah, year that... is that from? Uh, hold on. I got to look. Hold on. Uh, 78. Okay. 1978. See, now I love that show. That show was, that that show was, was can that show was canceled by the way. Oh, of oh rain. Shit. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, what's a funny story from that show, but it didn't happen. Yeah. It, you know, it never happened. Funny story is it never happened. Yeah. I didn't see the humor in it at the time. Anyway, we know you're a guitar player. I am, but you're not a guitar player entertainer. You got, you got into buying and festival. So what made you be like, you know what? I'm going to buy entertainment. I'm not going to be the entertainment. You, you know, it's, it's actually a fun story. I was in college. So this would have been 73, something around there. And I needed a job and I wanted to do something in the music world. So I applied for a job 
at a record store that had a store on Brady Street, which was the first store of what became a chain in Milwaukee called 1812 Overture Record Store, right? And the owner of that record store was a guy named Alan Dullberger, and he had two partners and they had a concert company called Daydream Productions. So it was Alan Dullberger, Randy McElrath, and Charlie Fane. And they had this promoting company. Well, he had, Alan did this thing where you had to work there for two or three days for nothing, just to see if you were compatible with what was going on in the store. Mm -hmm. So I was there for, for like day two, and I'm just kind of standing around uh, watching. And Alan comes up to me and says, you know, we own this concert promoting firm. We have a Shana Nash show tonight. And the guy that's supposed to be the runner to set up the food and beverage and everything backstage, his car broke down. And you're kind of useless here in the store. You don't know anything yet. <laughs> Do you have a car that runs? And I said, yeah. He says, how would you like to be the runner tonight at the show? So I said, great. So I go off and uh, do the shot on our story show. And uh, the next day or a day or two later, he says to me, well, you didn't seem starstruck or anything by being back there. I said, nah, it's fine. I'm studying that stuff in college. I'm trying to get a theater degree. So no, it was, I, I enjoyed it. He goes, well, why don't you do both? Why don't you stay working at the record store and become a runner because the person that's doing it is car never works or some excuse like that. Mm -hmm. So I started doing that. And I worked my way up to being like the runner for all the shows they did. And I worked my way up to be uh, basically a buyer for the record record store. And uh, after doing this for quite some time, and I was starting a moonlight at another company in town called the Edgewood Agency, who were doing more classical stuff and being their runner. Well, he came up to me one day, Alan, meaning the owner, came up one day and said, we need you in, in the record store far more than we then we need you in the concert side. So we're gonna take you out of the concert business and make you work full-time in a record store, which bummed the heck out of me, right? So I went and said to my guys at the Edgewood Agency, man, this is sad, I'm gonna have to get out of the concert side of it. And they said, no, why don't you come work with us? So I quit the record business, went over with those guys full-time and learned how to do, in, in those days, box office was a little weirder because you had to you know, drop tickets off at all the outlets and count the deadwood at the end of the day and pick them all up for shows. And, and I learned all the basics there. And then one day out of the blue here in 77, probably, I got a call from a guy named Joel Gast who, who was, was at, at Summerfest doing the, uh, the booking. And he said, we're all leaving to start Chicago Fest. And they need somebody to the, book the bands over there at Summerfest. And the only person who's applied so far is this one guy and he hasn't booked the National Act before. And I know you're working with National Acts. Would you have an interest in doing this? And I said, yeah, I'd like to talk to the guy. So my interview over here at Summerfest in whatever what year it was, was I stay, put me in, in an office, sat down on one side of the desk. The guy named Jim Butler, who was the CEO at the time, came over to the other side and he said, Joel Gass says you can do the job. Here's a contract, sign it by tomorrow. Or you don't get the job. <laughs> that was my interview. Wow. And I've, and I've been here ever since. So, so when you so when they you, can't get rid of me, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah you're like a bad penny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, right. When you first started at Summerfest, can you remember who your first big headliner was that you booked? Well, I think the first big rock show that I ever booked was actually the Grateful Dead. And, oh, then, and, they, and then they canceled on me. Canceled. And then, who, who else? I mean, I'd have to look and see who it was oh, that was year just... because it all just kind of blurs together through the years, you mm -hmm. know. Um, 
but back in those days, it was the wild, wild west. I mean, yeah. if you needed comp tickets, you just reached into a box and grabbed a bunch and took them with you, you know, to go to the bar to impress people and hand them out if you had to. You know, there was it was a completely different time. The place, I mean, there was really no permanent stages to speak of at that time, you know. Yes. And uh, and our office on the other side of the street, but <laughs> one day we got broken into my office. In my, my first office here was uh, my my desk was a door, an actual door that was sitting on two sawhorses, right? <laughs> and every night when I left my office, I had a padlock it shut. That was that was my office, right? We all had a padlock our offices at night because we were in this like little <laughs> barracks thing. <laughs> and one day, one day we got robbed, right? And all the locks got broken off. And I had, I, I think I had a, uh, a, a little, com not a computer, but a calculator and some other stuff they took out of my office. So they'd taken a calculator and this and that. And one guy in the office had like this red leisure suit that he had hanging on a hook and they even stole that. Well, they caught the guy. They caught the guy and they asked him about all the stuff. And he said, oh yeah, the calculator, I sold all that stuff off for some side money. The red leisure suit I had a giveaway and nobody wanted to buy that. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me, yeah, they caught him wearing the red <laughs> yeah, leisure suit. Yeah. yeah, they knew it was him because he had it on. So when you were first starting out running bands in your own car, any great conversations with, you know, some great acts during that time? Yeah, there was, you always had conversations with people. I mean, it was also, there's a sad part about it. I mean, uh, when I ran, when I worked that one show, which was Sha Na Na, just a couple of days later, one of the guys in the band passed away. So it was, mm. a, oh. it was a, you know, so that was a, an, an early awakening to the concert business and what it is. But yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. I learned that side of it, you know, from the bottom. I mean, I learned early on, I learned I didn't like people hanging out backstage because they would come out and drink your beer that you just put on ice for somebody else, for the band or something. You, you sure. learned the parts of it that you want it to be a business. And uh, Alan and, and Randy McGillworth and Charlie Fain were, were great. It was, it was a great way to learn. I learned a lot. I've, I'm still very close with, with Randy. I mean, we still talk all the time. And, and he's retired now from, uh, from Live Nation, but his son Ryan is still a fairly uh, high up in the touring world at Live Nation. You know, there was, there was a lot of people I was talking about this to somebody the other day. There were a lot of people that came out of that era. I mean, after Randy and Alan broke up, then uh, Randy had people working for him like Bob Rue and Dan Brown. Bob Rue was going on, as we all know, to be way up in the Live Nation world. Mm -hmm. Dan Brown is, is, uh, works with Metallica, does mm -hmm. all their set designs, all, things like that. Allison Larkin became a big person in Live, Live Nation global touring. That happened. Brad Wavers in touring. He worked with uh, Joe and Leslie, who ran Alpine Valley, now run the Rave. So a lot of people came out of Milwaukee during that time and moved forward in the business, which is great to see. So all these years and all these contracts, can you tell us some good, good nuggets as far as hospitality riders? catering requests. I well, mean, everybody I, I, says the green M&Ms, but I mean, there's probably some really quirky things that have And I know you've got, and you've guys seen them all too. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, you've get a four in the old days, you would get like a four page wine list, you know, two pages of domestic and two pages of non-domestic and pick from here and pick from there. I mean, all that stuff kind of went on. The M&Ms thing actually just happened because the Van Halen guys thought that people weren't reading their riders. 
that's what that was all about. Right. So people read the writers if they were messing with the M&M, so they knew what was going on with that. But I mean, it, the, the business has, has changed so much, so dramatic that as once again, as you guys, as you guys know, the, you see a lot of people on the road, a lot of tour production people on the road that are the older guys that have been there for a long time. And they've, they've stayed that way because they've stayed healthy through the years, right? So you see macrobiotic meals and you see, you know, silverware, real China, all that kind of stuff. Because if somebody starts getting sick on the road, everything kind of stops. So mm -hmm. the guys that have been doing it for a long time, it really is a business for them. So that's good to see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you made a comment that you don't like a lot of people, you know, hanging backstage because they're drinking your beer. Amphitheater at Summerfest has really changed over the years, and especially mm -hmm. recently with that big renovation you guys did. Talk about that. It's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful venue in that it, it's state of the art, and we can put a stadium-sized show in the building. I know that after when while we were working on it, some of the guys from Billy Joel came over who were playing at the at the foot at the baseball stadium in town, and uh, they said we can put our show in here which made me feel really good because I, I think we have like 68 feet of trim over the stage. Stage is bigger. We've got 18 dressing rooms. We've got line, nine loading bins mm. for backstage. Mm. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, it's a sad part of it is we, we got it all done and then the business shut down. We're excited about it. We're finally excited to be, finally get a chance to show this building off to people because it just kind of sits there and it's kind of sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the first part of the reno was the backstage part, right? Yeah. And the, then the, the second part, that part the was band the... saw, right? Now the now it's what people see out front and sure. you know all new seating, a little bit configuration changes, some new aisles and, and situations like that. But the restaurants are going to be very nice. The bathrooms are very nice. It's it's a beautiful building. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to see it. Really, I'm very excited. I can't wait to see it be used. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Summerfest has 11 stages of entertainment. When you're working the event, we know that most of the time it's a lot of problem solving. Over the years, what are some of your best problem solving stories? Uh, you know, something's wow. going on at this stage, this one, because I know you've kind of talked to us oh, sure. uh, at times about different, like someone's too loud and I'm not going to play because this and that and the other thing or whatever but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we've had we've had a, a few we've had a few of those um i you know the, we had a situation once with with an artist who uh who was blind so we had a heightened sense of hearing so we had a problem with sound on the ground so we were shutting down stages situations like that that we've had through the years you know it's just it's you you've you, they go so fast i mean they happen so fast that you don't realize that you just missed something that could have been very bad. I mean, it, it, we had one year, we had three different artists in the amphitheater that our date was the last date of the tour because something happened. Because someone's, a person in somebody's family had died. So they canceled all the dates after us. A person got sick so they could do our date, but after that they couldn't do anymore. Situations like that. And in that 11 day time period, we had three amphitheater shows like that where something happened that we ended up being the last day of the tour. Mm -hmm. And you don't realize till about two weeks later when you're sitting down going, boy, we have, it was so close to being catastrophic for our business to lose. Or they could have easily lost all three shows. Instead, we got lucked out by it. So sometimes you, sometimes you get lucky. Yeah. Because there's a lot of those type of things that 
you know, the audience shows up on the day of your show and it's great and it's a great show, but you know, that's the kind of thing that we like talking about are those things that happen that the general public don't even know about. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. That, that's true. Um, but it, it's, but now I, I'm, I'm just happy that, they, that they all happen so much. <laughs> you know, I don't have a story there for you. I don't think that's all right. Mm -hmm. So, um, we, Justine and I were talking about, cause you've brought in so many great acts and my favorite, one of my favorite Summerfest stories. And I tell Justine this, and I tell everybody this is that when you brought in Paul McCartney mm -hmm. and, you know, it was just, I don't know, was that five years ago already? Um, or, eh, probably three, three you know, years we, ago. we got Paul McCartney because we had the Rolling Stones because we had Prince. It, what oh. it all boils down to is we did two Prince shows. I mean, one, I think a year apart, I think one, you know, in a three year time span, because we got the call that he was looking to pick up a date because he was doing his birthday party at Paisley Park up in Minneapolis, he was putting his band together and decided he wanted to do another pickup date. So he did one here with AEG and they liked it so much. They came back and did it again. And then out of the blue, the, the, they were putting a Stones tour together, AEG was, mm -hmm. putting a Stones tour together and they were doing all stadiums. And they decided they wanted to do something not stadium size so the band could have a little change of environment, if you will. So I was driving, I forget, somewhere in December and I almost drove off the road when I answered my phone and the guy on the other side said, hey, it's so-and-so, do you want a Stones date? Like, <laughs> and uh, and then so you that one, yeah, so yeah, really, I broke that. So, <laughs> so that went well for us. And then a couple of years later, when, when Paul was going to work, his people talked to the Stones people and said, what do you think of the venue? And they said, yeah, it's great. Everybody takes care of you. It's a great venue to do a show. And, and that's kind of how we got Paul. Sir Paul on it. So sometimes it's all those relationships that you have mm -hmm. in the business. But I'll tell you a good Prince story. Yeah, I, think, yeah, I don't know if is. I've told you guys this good Prince story. So on the second day, we have a thing that we call the wall of fame, right? And we put pictures of the artists up on the wall, right? And we tried to have the artists come up and pose with the, with the, pit, with the thing that we're going to put up, the plaque that we're going to put up on the wall. So about three weeks before the Prince date, we have the started having the conversation with his organization, and we say we'd like to put Prince on on the Wall of Fame. Could you ask him? And they say okay, and they come back and they say he would he would love to do that. I say great. So I say how do you want the the uh, the the frame picture to look? And they say well we like it to just be the logo, the Prince logo that that he's using. And I go great. So we have it carved in like granite. And then two days before, I say, what should we do? And they say, well, do you have a room? I say, we have a room upstairs. We can do it up there. We can cover it. And they go, great. The day of the show, you guys set it up there. And at, he's going to play at nine. He's going on stage. So you have it ready. About quarter to seven, he's going to show up. He'll pose for the picture and we'll be done. I say, great, great. So we got posted the the. The thing is all done. It's up there on an easel. It's covered. It's Don Smiley, the CEO here. It's his first year. And I go, Don, you want to go up and do this? He goes, yeah, this is going to be great. So he comes up there with us. We have our photographer. We have our marketing person. It's quarter to seven. Prince's guy comes in. His camera person comes in and sets up his stuff. We are ready to go. Seven o'clock, his assistant comes in and goes, He's giving an interview in Europe 
it's going to be about another half hour. We sit okay. there, 7.30 comes along. She comes back, still doing interviews. It's going to be a little while. We say, fine. Like 10 to 8, comes back, says he's decided he's going to put on his costume and makeup and get ready for the show, and then he's going to do this. Perfect. Oh, great. Good. 8.30, she comes back and goes, decided <laughs> he's going to make a change in his costume, doesn't like what he's doing, so it'll be in a bit, like 9 o'clock, 10 to 9. So now we've been there since quarter to 7, right? 10 to 9, the door opens, in comes Prince. Oh, just takes over the room because he's, you know, yeah. Prince, right? Prince. And he comes in. I'm a little tongue tied about it. And I say, you know, Prince, we, we we do this to honor people who have been important to the festival and to the amphitheater. And we are just honored by doing this. And he stops me and goes, just you saying you're honored is good enough for me. I'd rather not do this. Oh. And he walks out. <laughs> and his assistant kind of goes, and his photographer kind of goes, Everybody packs their stuff up and leaves. And I'm standing there and Smiley says, does this happen a lot in this business? And I go, <laughs> all the time. Then I said, put the plaque up on the wall. So anyway, oh my so, gosh. there's That's a print awesome. story for you. But going back to uh, Paul McCartney is uh -huh. that that was my favorite show. And I always say that, um, you know, there I was in the audience and you know, singing to band on the run with a tear in my eye because it was just so great. You know, that, yeah. that yeah. was kind of my, it's know, those moments. It's those yeah. moments, you know, though, that you remember, see, you're, you're remembering that. I think back to, um, we once were doing two dates with Pearl Jam and they had had a, a problem with people and Ticketmaster at that time it was Ticketron and their fees being too high, mm -hmm. right? So with about a week before our date, they cancel and we're sold out. We're sold to the rafters, right? And, and they cancel and we start begging basically and going to every outlet that's close to them and saying, guys, look, our ticket fees are nothing. We do this show for the people. We keep our ticket prices down. That's what it's all about. And we go through all the channels and beg and beg and beg. And like with two days before or something like that, they go, okay, we'll do your dates. So they come in and, and do those dates. And that first show, when I thought it was devastatingly gone and the lights go down and the people started to scream and the lights come up, that's the day I'll always remember. remember. I mean, that was like, the day I didn't think we would have that show. And then they came back, uh, they came back and played with uh, Tom Petty, who mm -hmm. was, you know, a he played Summerfest more than almost any act, I think. I think he played here, what, nine times, eight, nine times mm -hmm. through, the, through the years before he tragically passed. But uh, those were magical days. I mean, there's, those are shows you, we all do this for the same reason. We all, you know, all the headaches, all the bull, all everything you put up with, it's when you're in that room and the lights go down and the band hits and the crowd goes out of their minds. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sends a chill down your spine and you go, man, that is why we do what we do. So with kind of the Pearl Jam and, you know, your headliners, how far have you had to go? Because, you know, everybody knows that they all have a price and they quote you a number and it's routing and all of those kind of things. But sometimes it 
doesn't always go that smooth. And could you tell us about an instance where you really wanted to have X band at Summerfest and how far you went as far mm -hmm. as I had a, I had a band that should not be mentioned. That's fine. That I wanted to play here. And they were the night before in Florida. Hmm. And they said, well, I got two of these. I'll tell you another one. And, and they said, the only way we can make this is you have to get our band, our crew, and all our gear from Florida up to the show and then get all our gear back for another show in Florida a day later. Hmm. So we didn't just rent a little Lear. We rented a cargo plane, wow. a full <laughs> cargo plane, so they could load all their gear down in the hold and had room for, I think we flew like 40 some people up here or something like that. Wow. So we rented a cargo plane. We also one night had a band that had to get to New York for a show the next day. And in those days, there was an airline called Midwest Express, right? And we had chartered a plane that was going to leave Milwaukee at midnight so they could make it there the next day for their show. And the band left here and the show was great and everybody was in great spirits having the time of their lives. And we got to the airport and I got a call from a screaming tour manager and it turned out that the airline or somebody had screwed up the flight crew yep. and they didn't have enough time for the flight crew to not work. So that flight crew couldn't take off. Mm -hmm. So they could not leave Milwaukee. Oh, no. You got a band that's crazy. I think they had some TV that they were supposed to do in the afternoon or noon or something. You had a band that was crazy. You had a tour manager that was crazy. We were crazy. Everybody was all over the place it turned out that they managed to get a crew for them at 6 a.m so the band stayed in the in the airport mm -hmm. had to wait till they got the crew there and the airline ended up getting a caterer to come on and put up a full breakfast station and a chef inside the plane to cook breakfast for everybody so they could so i guess the day. famous midwest express chocolate chip cookies weren't really well, it was not getting it done that day <laughs> then it was not getting it done that day but things happen you know oh things happen so i i think i'm right on this but i think you're along with the pearl jam moment yeah i think probably one of your top or maybe the top show you personally probably really wanted were the stones yeah oh yeah it was I, I consider them you know one of the greatest rock bands that ever ever played if not the greatest rock band that ever played so that was that was a moment for us and uh for the festival mm -hmm. and it was it was interesting i mean they, they these guys hung around all day they got there and just kind of hung out you know so it, it wasn't it wasn't what i thought it was going to be like i mean these guys are they, they, that date didn't have a lot of set. It was just music. And mm -hmm. it was like two and a half hours of pure energy. So yeah, those are the kind of, those are the kind of band and those kind of moments you just live for. Cause you opened the festival a day early to accommodate that show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did. 
We did, and it was great. Couldn't couldn't be happier with the way that turned out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's Mick Jagger eating backstage? You know, is he I like a no, I'll just take a tea guy, or is I he can, like I cannot I cannot remember exactly what that was, mm -hmm. but uh, I had a chance to meet him, and he was very very pleasant. It was really, really yeah, yeah. See, I we have a story similar to that, not a the level of the stones but it was with alice cooper oh, yeah. uh -huh. and we booked an alice cooper date and hall of famer and you know all of that and we were you know i was really hoping that the day would be great and like you when we had a chance to meet alice cooper it was everything and more mm -hmm. did you get to play golf uh no he yeah. did we're working. Yeah, we were working. We were working. Yeah, I, I don't Come get on. to play. I always find a place for him to play because a lot of people like to play golf on the road, you know? Yeah. But well, he, he, I mean, he was like rep for Callaway for a long time. I yeah. know that for Callaway Golf. So, yeah. But Bruce, do you remember when we did meet him? He asked me if I played golf. Yeah. Because I think it might have <laughs> been my shirt that I was wearing because it was like, you know, one of those half zip pullovers. Uh -huh. And he was like, oh, he must play golf. Very badly. <laughs> he play, Alabama, he plays almost every day, I think, when he's on the road. Yeah. Something like that. So that, yeah. yeah he's very sweet. He's, he's a nice guy. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you talk about someone who's been in the trenches, right? He's been yeah. in the trenches through the years. Right. And easily he could be a total jag, you know, over the years. Right. But he was a he was a sweetheart. Have you watched the Billie Eilish thing on Apple TV? I have not. I, I really enjoyed watching that. Mm -hmm. I, I like the, I kind of like the whole songwriting process of her and her brother. And, In the bedroom. Uh, but I really like the, the way her and her brother work together. I really like I think fin I think Phineas is the star of that family, actually. Yeah. So I felt kind of bad because part of the deal, I mean, when we did that show, they were just babies, right? They had never done anything. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, we're going to come into this space and they're going, well, well, we have sound and lights. Yeah, don't worry about that. You can have sound and lights. And then it was, can we put up our set? We have to put up our set. And I'm going, well, I don't know. And I'm thinking it's going to be 10 trucks kind of a set. And they go, we have to have our set. We want the date bed. And then we go, okay, you can have a set. And it's like it's this little platform that goes up and down. I'm thinking it's like half a truck back there. You know, it's not a problem with that. But, but then Phineas had to have 45 minutes. He was the opening act and he had a 45 minutes. And after 20 minutes, he realized this is not working. And he left, he quit. He got off the stage and they did their break. And then he comes out because the band really is Phineas and one other guy. I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. the band mm -hmm. and her, right? So he came out and did that part, but he wasn't upset. He got it, you know, mm. but he just did, he did 20 minutes and he yelled. I mean, nobody was listening to him. Nobody sure. was, because uh -huh. at that time, I think, I don't think those kids in the audience even knew that Phineas existed. You know, I oh, don't think correct. they knew that he, I don't think he, yeah. they knew he wrote all this stuff. Now they all do, but right. I don't think when that happened, I don't think they knew that he was even a part of it. Mm -hmm. you know? I couldn't even pronounce his name when it started. I said, PH Phineas. Well, it. you know what? <laughs> you would probably know it if you had young kids like I did, and there was a show called Phineas and Ferb. Mm -hmm. They spell it the same way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's a he's a very talented guy, though. And yeah, and they did that stuff in his bedroom. I mean, just him and a keyboard, and 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 she would do her thing. And, right. and she, I'm telling you, when when we did that show, a couple of things I'll remember. Um, the first one was she told the crowd. She said, "I was sitting up in the dressing room with my grandma." 
She said, and I'm watching all, they opened the gates and I'm watching all these people streaming. This is the biggest show she'd ever done, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm watching all these people stream into the place. She says, and it hits me. They're all coming there to see me. She said, that was a powerful moment right there for my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was good. And then when I watched her, I didn't know what it was going to be like. I thought it was just another pop show. She owned those kids. I mean, she mm-hmm. sat on the edge of the stage and was telling stories, just her. And the place was it's packed, right? There's 23,000. And there's not a peep. You can hear a pin drop. They were listening to her tell stories. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, they get it. You know, that she is speaking to a crowd that... Uh, sometimes can feel just as dark as she does in those songs, which and I watch, thought was pretty cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. and watching mm-hmm. that program, she has a journal that she kept, and mm-hmm. all of the songs come out of there. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, and, you know, there's artwork in there, and it was all of her growing up and some of the dark times, and that's where she comes up with all of those songs. and. Yeah, her and Phineas just kind of, hey, do you want to sing today? And then they just start going at it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm telling you, they're very talented people, and they've got their pulse on, on, on their audience, and they've and they're they're great songwriters. I mean, the stuff is. I mean, when you start hearing that stuff like on basketball games in the background, you know, when you hear stuff like that, it's like, man, you know, mm-hmm. she's in the mainstream, but I got to give her credit. You know, she knows what she wants to do and she knows how she wants to do it. And she has a, she has a great agent that takes care of her that was there from the very beginning. And uh, I just feel that the, the package of, of them, that, that they got a long way to go yet. And they're mm-hmm. talented, talented people. I wish them all the best of luck. Now, many rock and roll hall of famers have come through the doors and played the stages at Summerfest. And I think we've had this same act uh, and we've worked with her before is Aretha Franklin. Uh huh. And I know I have a story of Aretha Franklin, but I wanted you to share your story of Aretha Franklin. You go first. So my Aretha Franklin story was after the show during settlement, she would always demand that she got so much of her pay in cash. Uh huh. And what she would do is, is that she would line up the band at her trailer after the show and bring everybody in individually. So they would bring in the rhythm section. They would bring in, you know, the backup singers. They would bring in and she would critique them and then also pay them in cash. So I was backstage while they were all lined up, ready to get paid or critiqued. And I was talking to one of the guys and I'm asking him what's going on. And he kind of told me what was going Uh on. And he said, yeah, this is the time when you get paid. And then, you know, if you get to go on to the next show or you get fired and I'm like, really get fired. He's like, yeah, I've gotten fired by Aretha at least a dozen times this year. (laughs) And that's what she did after the show it. And it probably took a good hour to critique everybody, pay them. Well, my story is not not much different. My story was, you know, you had to pay Aretha half in cash and half in check. And you settled with Aretha. Now my settlement was done before the show. So I got a call in the afternoon and the, the, the tour guy said, 
you'll be settling with Aretha tonight. And I laughed and he said, no, no, you settled. And you must know this, you settle with Aretha. Mm -hmm. So I knock on the door and, and, and the big security guy comes out and lets me into the dressing room and stands outside the door. And I sit in a chair and in comes Aretha, sits down on the other side of a table, takes all the stacks of money that you're paying her with and she starts counting, you know? Mm -hmm. have a conversation with you nice day things are good out there huh? i think we're gonna have a big crowd <laughs> while she counts all the money and then she stacked it all up and she took the check and she shook my hand and said goodbye i took the i gave her all the stuff she put it in a big bag that she had like a carry satchel mm -hmm. and i left and the security guy did and i watched and the show started and she came out with the security guy she had her satchel and she gave it to him and he stood on the side of the stage and when the show was over he came over, he gave her the satchel. She walked off stage. And then about uh, three months later, I got a call from the agent. And he said, do you remember that check that you wrote Aretha? And I said, yeah, this is the old days, right? I said, oh yeah. And he said, well, if you could do us a favor, if we send you it back, cause it expired, can you send another check? And I said, sure, well, what happened? He goes, well, she was cleaning out her purse yesterday. And she found it crumpled up in the bottom of her purse. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, kind of the same story you have, though. Yeah. She paid her in cash, too. Yeah. She sits and, and she counts with you. It's great. Yeah, it was but great. Settled with her, not her people. Yeah. And you that actually, as you know, I mean, certain things set the tone for the day, and little things can really set the day on a horrible note. And then the rest oh, yeah. of the day is just terrible. Oh, but yeah. Remember, she was playing a fair before we had her at our event and they forgot, or I don't know how it happened, but when Aretha arrived there, they didn't have cash for her. That did oh. not sit well. That's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. So then the yeah. rest of the day was just rough, rough as uh, all get yeah. out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember, you know, uh, a singer on that vein, Ella Fitzgerald, going, first time I heard Ella Fitzgerald, I was like, oh, my God, there's singers, Minnie Ripperton, oh, my God, there's singer voices just blow you away, mm -hmm. old school voices. But anyway, that's it. Well, thanks for your time, Bob. Thank and, you, guys. Uh, Take good care of yourselves. All right. See ya. Have a good weekend. See yep. you, guys. See Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us backstage and visit Justine and I at VarietyAttractions.com. Get your backstage pass and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce, served up by Variety Attractions, celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. Find out how you can take advantage of their expertise in consulting, talent buying, production, and marketing services for your next event at varietyattractions.com.